Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. For today's update, I'm going to cover a couple of different topics. First, let's talk about Satama. Satama is on a strong upward trend, although it's got immense sell pressure. Um, but it's on a strong upward trend. Um, I believe this is going to create a new bottom for it, just based on the trend lines that I'm personally seeing. Um, and the difficult on prediction for this one is just the fact that we're coming close Tomorrow is the Cytomask event out here in Las Vegas. That's going to certainly have an appreciable impact on more gains over time. And we don't know exactly how much effect that's going to have. Plus, if there's more listings on more exchanges, that's going to open up doors for more people to invest. Certainly, I said, if Binance is, even on the dot-com side alone, is getting on board with Satama, that's a huge thing. Coinbase is a huge thing. I can go on and on, but... We're talking millions and millions of investors are on these different platforms, and so we don't know what effect that will have, and so that kind of makes it difficult to strong predict what the next resistance points are going to be. And the reason this is important, if you're an existing Satama trader, is that us knowing where the new resistance is will tell us the story for about the next month-ish, so basically for the remainder of November and part of December, because if you notice the pattern, we've been able to drop from then to now. I went back and checked my records. We've been able to drop two zeros over the past, you know, two months, two and a half months-ish. That's pretty good um, of a velocity of growth for a token that's primarily focused on the business aspects of what it's doing. Meaning that Satama itself, the token itself, doesn't have the same use case applications as other tokens might have, it has more exposure, I would argue, but it doesn't have the same use case applications to where, you know, it's powering XY over here. They plan to, this is coming. I'm saying that as of right now today, it doesn't have that most of the community is organically grown and built word of mouth, plus the different AMAs from the developers and from Russell, who's the COO. And, as I watch the tokens growth pattern it has been a strong growth pattern in the direction of steady and resilient as opposed to the constant growth that you might see with something like rich quack. When I look at the long term, so it, for those that don't know what I'm talking about long term, I'm talking about zoom out. If you were to zoom out on Satama's chart, you should not be surprised but obviously hindsight is 2020 but when i look at the growth from just early october all the way up to mid-october let's say this was a this was the formative period this is when they were trying to get more on board and i remember those conversations having in social media which i've i've not gone to because most of their social media has become toxic but I remember the conversations in the early days of this one of people that were really bullish about the project and the Russ tends to, as a business person, tends to come across as, even though he doesn't give over specifics, but he tends to come across as business savvy and they've got finance people on board and so on. And then I think the, you know, once Willie D comes on board and then he's a strong advocate, not only in the celebrity circle, but also in just the community in general, which is always good. And I've, work to advocate that myself. I've talked to peers and colleagues and Satama is the name that I've given them and I've told them you're going to need to crash course on your social media skills first. And then once you do that, I guarantee you this is one you're going to want to bite into because I had a 
also a similar bullish feeling about it and the team more so the team than the token because again today it doesn't have the nearly the same utility that it's planned to have in the future that should create a bullish signal to you that there's a lot more coming than what we even have now and so if you look at the growth we have now when it doesn't have those utilities you got to think about later geez what's the potential of this thing and then how high could it go and then what is the return on the investment and just to kind of give you a sense of it and i'll what i'm going to do is snapshot this point in time because we're right before the cytomass launch which i think is a one of those branches that i talked about on my other podcast where it's a one of these strong decision points when i first invested and i, I invested back in september simply because i was fighting the whole ethereum and everything else until i finally got it figured out uniswap's gas these are just nut, nuts i was not going to spend what they wanted but I was able to finally get it to work in September, and then I just sat on it. And I didn't buy a major bang. And by the time I had bought in, um, I was able to get, you know, billions and billions of tokens for a very small investment, which is good. At some point in the future, I'm going to show the photo, that, and I snapped it on my, on my device. I'm going to show a photo of what I bought in at. And then later, when it starts to hit the target, or at least the initial target that I've determined, then I'm going to show my destination where I got to, which got me thinking that I can inspire a call to action to different people to do the same thing for your cryptocurrency journeys to help you measure true performance because it's hard to tell when you're watching it on a device if your initial investment wasn't significant. So if you're investing thousands and thousands into the thing, then maybe you could feasibly do it if it's a strong growth token. But for some of these that take a little bit of time to get to this point, and as we see more tokens move away from the quadrillions of tokens, it's going to be harder to do this. But when you buy into a new token, whichever that project happens to be, and there's a number of ones that are showing up that are strong potentials, like Shirio Inu, I believe, is a strong pretender that I'll talk about on a different podcast. Once I get more information, I do some research on it. Um, but once you buy into some of these other ones, then what you might want to consider doing is just take a snapshot, screenshot your device of what your initial investment was and just kind of store it away and don't look at it. And then later, watch the growth of your token. Hopefully it will grow at some point. You may not know when that is. Like if you look at Dogezilla, it's on a growth, somewhat growth trend, but it's also going to take it forever to even show the returns on that growth. I'm, we're probably talking years because it has no utility. Then later, once you realize the growth, then compare that against your snapshot, and then you might be surprised to see. So to give you a sense of why I'm saying that's a pretty good call to action, I have, I have as of, I think, probably yesterday, I have realized a 10 times return on my investment, which is, again, for anybody who bought in major money to this thing, you can think of that, that's huge. Uh, in two months, because I bought it in September, in a two-month span, I was able to realize a 10 times return on investment. This lets me then right-size my investments according to learning more about the graphs and how to predict these ones that seem like they're going to be breakout stars to hopefully be able to invest more up front so that I can realize a 10 times gain on a larger amount of money, right? And that's what most of these that have been doing it a long time have been mastering is figuring out that right dollar amount to put into a new project that has strong potential so that you can realize that long-term gain 
the downside, of course, is that it takes leadership, it takes a good team, it takes transparent communication, and most importantly, it takes them treating you like investors. You've got to feel like an investor. I understand there's those, like I said before, it's like, I just want to make that money, do, do, do. I got you. But at the end of the day, you are an investor. As an investor, there's certain things you have rights to, and one of those is information, transparent communication, a strong team backing it. You are deserve to be respected and not disrespected. And by and large, I said by and large, I'm not talking to anyone specific here, but by and large, cryptocurrency in general has done a bad job of that. The Satama team has done a, on the converse, has done a decently good job. They certainly respect their community as investors, and they want to hold business investor-type updates and, and sessions and things, and they are certainly improving on the communication, which is something I called out before. So I saw them as a strong contender simply because I saw business savvy out of them. Then I look at other tokens, you know, that seem like they're nice people, the developers, but they, they frankly suck at being a business. And my goal is to use my platform to advocate for more communication, being more transparent, treating them like investors, not kowtowing to the just want money do, do, do crowd, but that you are focusing on the people who want to be strong investors. And we behave like businesses overall because when all of us behave like we are in business transactions, because that's what it is, we all get stronger as a result because our tokens strengthen when we have solid people running them, number one. Number two, when the tokenomics have been figured out in a good way up front rather than later in doing a migration, that helps strengthen the token's value. Number three, when we as a community are communicating on a business level and not like children, and I understand there's probably some 18-year-olds or whatever investing, but we should still communicate like adults, meaning that we have respect for each other and we understand that we're in this as an investor. We're not in this playing games. When we have people getting in this that think it's a game, we end up with like the idiot who killed himself over GME options. And yes, he's an idiot because he did something without understanding what he was getting into. We don't want that. We don't want more of that because all that's going to do is put eyes on the prize by the federal government who's going to crack down on stuff and then it'll just be like stocks and nobody will get rich except the rich. This is not what we want. So I and many others, I think, are using platforms to try to inform and educate, but at the end of the day, it has to come from you internally. You're going to need to have your own sense of self and being and reason why you do things. And that's important. Master P talked about it. You need to have a reason why you do the thing and you need to believe in the project. It's not just about raw making cash. That's your goal, but you should still at least believe in the project to some degree. If you're just dumping in because of FOMO, which I'm going to do a later update about the terms, but if you're just dumping in because of FOMO, as long as you accept the risk that, hey, your FOMO might not work out the way you thought it would, then that's on you. It's your money to lose. And as long as you don't go off killing yourself, I guess it's fine, but I think there's a lot of new investors that are just hearing the chatter and they're just jumping in without really understanding it. And then as a result, when things don't go their way, they get frustrated and then they become toxic. And that just salts the whole community and we don't want that. So I am giving kudos specifically to Satama because at least their team, I can't speak for the community, but the team in particular has tried to do a good job of managing it and running it and acting like a business. And they've tried to present it in a professional form, which lends credibility to the product. 
The other thing I'll talk about for a toxic community and the reason that I think Satama Russ has tried to get involved to try to intervene and just quell some of that is, you know, you got to think about when you're trying to get sponsorships or you're trying to get partnerships and people look at your community as well as another source of the people who are invested in the product. And if they see just a bunch of toxic chatter and all this, it tends to make certain ones nervous to support it, especially if you have certain, you know, social justice warrior groups that are, are involved and they don't want to buy in because they see that there's all these slurs or whatever going on. Like this is not something that's strongly supported. I'm not ever going to support letting that chatter go. I actually support moderating and quelling that, quashing it. I'm saying that when you have somebody who is asking fair questions as an investor and they're trying to be informed and they're trying to make sure they understand what's going on with their money, that they're given a chance, they're given a platform and a chance to communicate their concerns and that those concerns are well heard and that we are getting back on track with the vision of the platform. So that's Satama doing a masterful job, in my opinion, so far. Do I think there are things that can be improved? Absolutely. I still want more specificity and updates. I understand non-disclosure and the challenges with that, so I'm not hard-pressing them on it, but it is something I'm calling out simply. I'd like to see more tangible, specific, we're talking dates, times, uh, specific actions of things happening. The utility, I think, is going to become a question as more people get on board. We're right now, what, 200,000 with Satama. Well, SHIB's over 700,000. When you get to your threes and your fours and your fives, people are going to start talking about utility, and that's coming. But we don't have tar tangible dates, specific, targeted. This is when this is going to happen, like we did with Cytomask. I argue that the Cytomask specificity contributed to the success we see now right now. And, of course, as a development team, it's hard to pin that down because you're working against the reliability of the code and your QA cycle and your beta testing and responses on beta testing, any patches and bug fixes. So I resonate with why it was easier to do it here, but they might still have issues when it rolls out that they'll have to redress. And as long as they manage, reasonably manage the expectations and just kind of get in front of any sort of, you know, panic over it, right? Because you're going to have one-off bugs that people have. Every, every app that publishes to the store, there are one-off things that only affect one user and it's because they're running a device from like four years ago. There's things that are outside of the control of the developer that Satama is going to likely run into and it's going to affect the performance or at least perception of performance from those that are trying to use the thing. And I want to just make sure they have a plan. This is why I harp on communication and transparency so much. They're going to need to have a plan to get in front of that messaging, that response, that those complaints and say, here's why that's happening for you. You know, we did the research, have a support outlet to be able to manage those inquiries and they come in and then have a process. If you do need to roll a patch or however you need to handle it, um, moving forward. So I just need, I just want to make sure that they have that communication plan. That's going to be more important than any bug fixes in my opinion. And then the second update that I'm going to give second half of the update I'm going to give for today, I'm going to cover another uh, exchange because I think it's important that I get through my list. I currently have seven remaining that I wanted to cover. And one of them I dealt with yesterday. Um, you know what? I'm going to do this other garbage one just to get it out of the way. Because I've dealt with it on multiple occasions and it's just not going anywhere. So, Binance.us. That, yeah. So, with Binance.us, 
listen, I want to give you the background real quick, and then I'm just going to cover this one because it won't take that long for me to cover it, but I want to give you the background real quick. Binance, the company, has been under attack by the United States government. The reason they've been under attack is because of certain trading activities that were happening by the executive team up there that the government has been investigating for years that caused ultimately Binance to back off and say, all right, well, in order for us to still get the Americans money, but then we're going to separate fundamentally the company at its core so that we can focus the Binance.com side for our international crowd that doesn't care. We're going to spin off this Binance.us, and they'll take the money from the stupid Americans. So there are two different orgs. There's Binance.com. There's Binance.us. Americans cannot trade on Binance.com. So I'm not going to talk about Binance.com because I cannot, except to say that Binance.com appears to be a solid contender internationally and has probably the vast majority of traders. It also has over 200 cryptocurrencies. So it's going to be your first place to go if you're not in the United States. I would argue, according to all data I've seen, they are one of the strongest exchanges outside of the U.S. However, I'm talking about Binance.us, which is basically, you know, I talked about Indoex and how it's, you know, the the ghetto garbage of exchanges. Binance.us isn't ghetto garbage in the interface. It's ghetto garbage in their people, the support the the way that's designed like there's just there's no thought process no, certainly no emotional thought put into how the interface was built and they didn't bother to really understand KYC because the way they've implemented KYC is fundamentally broken so binance.us let me step you through the different tiers they don't have a vast majority of tokens available however it's one of the select few places that you can buy BNB coins. So if you want to buy into the Binance Smart Chain, Binance.us will let you do it because it's technically their coin. The reason I don't recommend them for it is because of the KYC, which I'll talk about in a second. But it is a place to go. If you've already done their KYC, it's going to be the first place I would recommend that you go is Binance US because it's the easiest way to get those tokens. Binance US allows you to transfer in all you care to. Binance US allows you to do basic trading all you care to. What it doesn't let you do is withdraw without going through KYC. The KYC process is fundamentally broken because it's broken into different tiers. And I would argue theirs is the worst of every exchange I've ever experienced. And when I say the worst, I'm talking about I don't like, as a developer, a software developer, I don't like to put the user through too many hoops when there's no reason to do it. So in Binance.us, the first thing that they require you do is set up TOTP. TOTP is another name for what you might have heard of as Google Authenticator or LastPass Authenticator or Authy or one of these other generator software applications that will generate you a six-digit code. That's what we're talking about when I say TOTP. It requires you to turn that on. I've got no problem with this. After you turn on TOTP, then you have to verify an email address. I have no problem with this. They support Outlook. I have no problem with that. The issue I start having is that once you do those two steps, you can do basic trading. You can do basic transactions. You can do, you know, whatever, but you're still blocked from withdrawing, even though that's the right there. You've already secured your account roughly 99% because with email, if your email got hacked, it wouldn't matter because you still have that 
that device in your hand. If your phone got stolen and you still have your email, you have a way to immediately lock it. You really only need two tiers of hardcore security to properly secure your account. I'm going to talk about that in a second. In After you do the email and after you do the TOTP, in order to even get to KYC, they force you to do SMS verification. Now, the United States government has released documented guidance that says you should stop using SMS verification because it's unsecure. I want to explain to you why that is. SMS, the text message protocol, was never secured. It was never encrypted. And you may have heard the chatter over years about we should encrypt everything, right? So when you have something like Telegram, as garbage as it is, Telegram has encrypted communications behind it. When you are using certain tools like your, uh, I'm, you know, the on the iPhone, you're using video chats, that's an encrypted channel. When you're going on a Zoom call at work, that's an encrypted channel. And the reason for encryption is simply so that when the data moves from point A to point B, it cannot be intercepted by so-called bad actors. SMS was never encrypted because it never needed to be because nobody cared to intercept your, you know, you telling your significant other that you're coming home from work early or you, your kid texting you to tell you that they need to be picked up from school. Like nobody cared about this as a think of it from a hacker's perspective. I don't care about these low level communications that mean nothing to me. Fast forward. And then all these businesses primarily because they, they figured, Oh, well, everybody's got a cell phone. Doot, doot, doot. Now all these companies are saying, well, we need to do a double-step verification, which is correct. That was one of the standards of the industry. But they say, well, we'll just send a text to them, and then they can pick it on their phone, and then they can key it in. Sounded good, except that SMSs can be intercepted. It's actually very easy to do it with a low level of competency. And just for reference, I have a computer information systems degree, so I understand what I'm talking about here. You can intercept those very simply. It's a term called spoofing where somebody could theoretically, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but theoretically could emulate your phone and then intercept your messages and have things routed to it. It doesn't take much time to do this. So SMS was never a secure protocol. Well, think about this. If you set up that SMS messaging, that means hacker A over here could intercept that message. If all you had was SMS verification, now you've got a problem because that person could intercept that message, log into your, and then hack your email, log into your account, and run you dry. And that's a huge, for me personally, that is a huge no-no. I, I have big problems with any company that is forcing SMS verification, and many of them do. And I keep saying, no, this has to stop. This is not the right answer. If you have TOTP, you don't need SMS verification. If you have TOTP and email, you've already secured the account. If you want to have another tier of verification, then do a voice phone call, not an SMS, because the voice call could theoretically be intercepted, but hackers aren't paying attention to voice calls, and the voice call doesn't give any specific data. It doesn't give your name, your location. Remember, your SMS has location data built into it, so they know where your device, where your phone, where your person is. It's a risky business that I want more companies to move away from instead of moving to. And that's I'm I'm not seeing that happen and it's driving me nuts. It's the same thing on the on the stock side. Um, companies like, you know, Robinhood and others will ask the same thing, but it's an optional thing. It's not like it's forced upon you. So with 
Binance US, you can't even do you their KYC until you give them that SMS verification. And you have to leave it on because if you turn it off, it de-verifies you, which is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life as a developer and as a customer. If you decide to violate your privacy and give them this number, and by the way, to be fair, they at least allow Google Voice. That's some that's some progress, but they still should just get rid of the stuff. But if you allow them to violate your pri your privacy and give this number and possibly your security, then you can start the verification process. The verification process is fundamentally broken. I'm going to slow this down a little bit. It is fundamentally broken if you are using a tablet. It is fundamentally broken if you are using a computer. They built this thing to assume you are on a phone. And I'm stressing this. They built this thing to assume you are on a phone, number one. How do I know this? Because when you go to the KYC, what happens is it's a, it's a third-party company that does this. And they ask you to scan a barcode to use your phone if you don't want to use your computer. If you use your computer, they want to use a webcam. If it uses the webcam, it's going to fail. I'm telling you this right now. Because it doesn't know the way that they're doing the scanning would never work depending on the color of your skin. I'm not going to go deeper into this. If you do the phone option and you use a tablet, and of course a tablet can use the camera and can use all the same functions and same utility. If you use a tablet, it overzooms your face because it's assuming that you're on a phone that's held at arm's length. Yes. So when it's held at arm's length, it's trying to zoom in because it's trying to scan your face contours and details. And then it creates behind the scenes, basically a hash that describes your face and how your face works. Then it does a color scan. And the color scan is where I got a problem. The color scan, because it's over-zoomed in, you're not able to align your face correctly in the little oval they give you, and so it's going to bomb and fail. When it bombs and fails, it's never going to go forward, and you can't access live support because it's Binance US, you know, their ghetto version of Binance.com. If you were, let's say you figure this out and you go on a phone. So now when you go on the phone and you do the whole scan, it'll go through, but it'll sit at verification pending for who knows how long. You can try contacting support all you care to. They're never going to clear it. I, I can assure you this. De again, I want to clarify, depending on the color of your skin. I'm just saying this is what it is. So, no, I don't recommend Binance US if you can avoid it. There's nothing about Binance US that you can't get from gate.io. Let me make that clear. I don't recommend them. I never will recommend them, at least not until they get their act together and start acting like a real business get live support that you can deal with on the verification where a human looks at it and says, yep, you're clearly the same person as your ID. I don't need to use the tool to do this stuff. And to be honest, I've used other third-party verification software that has used the same type of technology, generally speaking. But in their cases, there was always somebody, a physical human, in case something went wrong. But the way that their scans work, they didn't ever fail. It's the way Binance has built theirs, I honestly believe, as a software developer, they built theirs assuming white people. I'm just going to bottom line this. So I cannot advocate them for this because you got to think about there are people who are from Indian descent who are in the United States legally or not. There are people who are Hispanic who are in the United States legally or not. There are people who are just darker-skinned folks and they're not fair-skinned. Maybe they're over-tanned or whatever. And so this, the way that their tool is built, I don't believe it's friendly for them, in my opinion. You can share your own experience, but I have not had a positive experience with them even now. 
weeks after the fact. I've not gotten any response, and I will not advocate them until they get their act together and clean it up to where I don't have to sit in a limbo status and I can verify myself to just transact. And even if I could, I don't know that I would ever bother using them because, as I said, Gate.io has the exact same tokens. In fact, it has more tokens. Their KYC is nothing. You give them the basic information, upload your ID, and you're basically done. And you can transact right away. Gate.io does not require a text message verification of you at all. It gives you, there's a code that you create, which is nice. I love that because it means that nobody knows it, but, you know, and nobody knows it but me, you know, so I can say, cool, I got my code. Nobody else knows this deal, which is your payment code. And I'll dig into them a different episode, but I just want to talk about the contrast. Having this code that I create is the third factor, which is what Binance is trying to do. But again, they're doing it wrong. They should do what Gate.io does, what KuCoin does, which is a payment code that you create and you memorize, which is basically a secondary password so that we can have three factors of authentication. I'm cool with that. I'm I'm not quacking about the need for three levels. I'm saying that if there needs to be a third level, make it something that is convenient for the user to do that can't be easily hacked that doesn't require an insecure method of transport. So I want Binance to get their act together and then I will gladly advocate for them in the future. So as Satama starts ramping up, if they get listed on Binance, most of the people in the, in the United States that are trying to buy it, like right now you can buy Satama on gate.io. If you're in the United States and you're just trying to buy it cash, I would steer you to gate.io because it's already on there and you can easily just buy it right away. So if you're listening and you have not bought in and you wanna buy in, you don't have to wait for the Binance. You could go gate.io. My theory, though, is that later, if it goes on to Coinbase, that's going to be a an easier on-road for the majority of Americans, frankly, because they already have money or existing assets they can trade in for Satama over there rather than starting from scratch with gate.io. But if you're coming for a wallet, it doesn't matter because you can transfer. Gate.io has its own internal wallets that you can transfer funds into from your wallet so you don't have to start over from scratch if it's in a wallet you could theoretically transfer from coinbase over to gate.io if you want it to it's just that's an extra step and do you want to take that extra step when you could just wait it out although i wouldn't want you to you know don't you miss the train you know on this rise so if you're a fomo type of person i don't want you to miss out either make your own decision do your own research especially on satama and uh, this nonsense called Binance.us. And again, if you're in it and you like it, that's cool. I'm just saying that the way that my experience went, which I suspect will be similar to many other experiences, is not good. And I would not recommend them even if I could get it solved because their customer support sucks. And that's a big thing for me. So being able to solve a problem when there's a problem is an, is important for me as well. So it's up to you. Do your own research. Make your own decision. I'm not telling you not to use them. I'm saying I don't recommend them over something like a gate.io that doesn't have anywhere near those levels of problems. Either way, be careful which way you go, be careful what you cash, and keep watching. There's some exciting times coming in cryptocurrency, and I'll be covering some of these up-and-comers, some of these underdogs that are about to hopefully shake up the spectrum, including some of the ones that are signing on on Cytomask here with the recent um, development AMA update.